You're listening to the Digital Introverts Podcast, a show where introverts share their success and failure stories and discuss how they thrive in the digital age. I'm your host, Godwin Chan. Let's begin. Episode 16 of the Digital Introverts Podcast features Dr. Benjamin Hardy. He is an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work. His blogs have been read by over 100 million people and are featured on Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, Cheddar, Big Think, and many others. He is a regular contributor to Inc. and Psychology Today, and from 2015 to 2018, he was the number one writer in the world on Medium.com. He and his wife, Lauren, adopted three children through the foster system in February of 2018. And one month later, Lauren became pregnant with twins, who were born in December of 2018. They live in Orlando. Dr. Hardy's new book, Personality Isn't Permanent, debunks the pervasive myths of personality that captured pop culture. For example, personality tests like Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram are not only psychologically destructive, but are no more scientific than horoscopes. Personality Isn't Permanent provides science-based strategies for reframing past memories, becoming the scribe of your identity narrative, upgrading your subconscious, and redesigning your environment. When you know the truth of personality, desired personal change can be dramatic and directed. When you don't, personality is something you seek to discover rather than create. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to the Digital Introverts Podcast. Today we have Dr. Benjamin Hardy from Orlando. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be with you. Fantastic. And, and this recording will be a little bit different because I'm not going to approach it from kind of my usual style of, you know, asking, you know, someone their kind of initial thoughts about what the term digital introverts means, but rather come from the perspective of, you know, as someone who has an upcoming book. So, you know, on, uh, on personality and why, you know, you make the case for why it isn't permanent. Right. And so the book is called Personality is Impermanent. So I, I was just wondering initially, you know, what caused you and what made you to begin pursuing in, to, to write this book? Yes. I mean, I have a PhD in organizational psychology. I've spent a lot of time studying psychology and think it's really interesting. The thing that really led me to writing this book, though, was under, better understanding trauma, actually. So I read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Really, really important book, Body Keeps the Score. And I was reading it actually with the interest of learning more about how unresolved trauma creates addiction or you know leads people to unhealthy coping mechanisms. And that's, it, it does talk about that. But I was more surprised and interested in how much it was talking about personality, you know, and about how episodes from the past, which haven't been reframed or, or looked at differently, can really impact a person's identity and can really stunt their development emotionally. And so, yeah, I mean, person, a, a good way of looking at personality is obviously it's your comfort zone. You know, it's what you're typical used to doing. It's what's predictable. It's what's safe. To go outside your comfort zone creates all sorts of emotions. And if you're not emotionally flexible, you're probably not going to do much outside your comfort zone and become more adaptive as a person. So I, when I was reading that book, it just it, it connected a lot of dots for me as a psychologist and, and as someone who's interested in growth, as, as someone who's w- watched myself change a lot. I was just like, and trauma doesn't hold all the answers, but it, it has a lot of the answers. You know, there's other places as well, environment, identity, but I just felt like, I want to write a book that explains to people why they become the way they do, 
why it's easy to get stuck and ultimately how you can make meaningful change if you want to. And it's very doable and there's a lot of good science on it. Right. Right. And, and no, and that, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I, you know, really enjoyed reading the book actually. Um, and you know, you know, just because it was very, it's very relatable to how I've come about and how I've kind of grown and, and, and developed to where I am today. Cause if you saw me, you know, even five, 10, even a couple of years ago, right. I was completely different person you wouldn't even recognize me right for, for <laughs> who I am today and, and that you know and, and you know you pointed out that that very clearly in the book right that and I've always had the saying that you know if you know someone came up to me you know who I have known for a long time like you know 20 30 40 years later and said that I was the same person I'd actually be offended right <laughs> that means like I haven't I haven't done my my job of changing evolving growing as a person right so I love that. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be the same guy you were back in high school. You know what I mean? Like if you're in your 30s or 40s, like it doesn't mean that there's certain elements of you that, you know, can shine through. But if you're still in that same persona or identity, you know, and I have a lot, I don't know if you've had that experience, but I've spent some time with some high school friends. And like, obviously, when you're back with them, it's easy to like get caught back in your old frame of mind, right? Your old personality in many ways. But Some people are just, they're so attached to their identity. You know, an identity and personality are two different things. Uh, Identity is how you define and describe yourself. So if you say I'm an introvert, that's, that's an identity statement, maybe even more than it is actually a statement of your personality. But your identity, you know, drives your behavior and that over time can become your personality. So, you know, I think it's interesting when people are so caught up in nostalgia and they're just so obsessed with the past that like they just stay the same people no obviously not they're not they're exactly the same but they don't want to change in any way and then enough time goes by where they realize okay <laughs> it's been a decade or two right right yeah and that makes sense and yeah like you mentioned like you know it's it's very easy to you know if you go back to high school reunions or even just you know just a very casual kind of get together with the people you used to hang out with or or that you still hang out with right and it's very easy to slip back into that mindset that you that you had back then but it, it, it's really interesting because course as you go along in life that you you know your your cycle of friends or your circle of friends or, or you know people that you know constantly recycled like I I have all have gotten several reboots if you will right of different individuals who I who I hang out with and and who I keep in touch with that doesn't mean that you know I've completely ignored or don't know what people from the past are up to nowadays it's just that not as close to them or just completely, you know, they've either moved or gotten a job somewhere else or they moved away or either I've outgrown the relationship or they've outgrown, you know, me. So it's all different, but you know, you learn to kind of grow with the people that you associate with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm definitely not big on shutting people out unless like, it's just that toxic, but for the most part, I think it's about just being healthy with boundaries. And when you're clear on the person you want to be, you have to change how things are going. Like when you ultimately decide a future version of yourself that's different from who you are today, then you have to, by virtue of being honest with your future self, you've got to create new boundaries and you've got to change things. And that obviously is difficult for you and it's difficult for the people around you because if you want to be consistent with your future, you've got to stop being so consistent with the past. And people don't want you to change because that's a part of them as well. I mean, I remember when I really got you know, really, I mean, we've all done it on multiple occasions, but in the more recent past, you know, I'm talking in the last like six to 12 months, 
when I was just really aware of how much time I was wasting on other people's goals and agendas. I just, I realized like, if I'm serious about my goals and if I'm serious about my priorities and also like my family, I've got five kids, you know, I've got to start saying no to a lot of these people that I love, but I've got to start saying no to them because it's just not good for me. And also it's just not healthy. And so, I mean, I remember having to reestablish, you know, relationships and start saying no a lot more and focusing on what really mattered to me and where I wanted to go as a person. And you know, that's tough. That doesn't mean that I'm just purely a taker because I'm definitely a believer in being a giver and being of service. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely serve, 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 but certain relationships, they're not serving really anyone anymore. You're just still in the relationship because you were in a relationship before. And you know, sometimes you got to make hard decisions if you're going to move forward in your life. Right. And that, and that means kind of periodically really reassessing the, the nature of your the existing relationships in your life and whether or not, you know, you want to either continue them or to continue them in the, in the same way that you've had been yeah. continuing them. Peer right. group is probably one of the biggest predictors of who you are as a person. You know, I mean, it's, it's huge. I mean, the research is abundant. You know, you're, you know, in high school students, for example, peer group predicts the type of grades you get, you know, whether or not you're going to go to school or skip school, you're going to be in drugs, whether you're going to, you know, become an entrepreneur, whether you can be religious. I mean, yeah, you just have to really be thoughtful about that. And it's not, and if you want to change, it's not your job to change your, you know, your peers, it's your job to change your peer group. Cause I'm not going to tell my friends from high school that they've got to become entrepreneurs because that's what I decided to do five years ago, you know, but if I want to be successful at this, I probably need to surround myself with people who know what they're doing. Yeah. And if you're someone who's wanting to become more spiritual, but you're surrounded by a bunch of drug addicts, like, you know, not that they're not spiritual, but like, if you really need to make a shift, you know, or you're just someone who no longer wants to be an addict, but you're, all your friends are addicts, like you have to be honest with yourself. Like if you're serious about making this change, you have to surround yourself with people who support and remind you of your future, not the people who are, who are really serious about you staying in the past. Right. And, and, I, and I love that idea from the book because I used to be a person who dwelled on the past way too often and, and wait for way too long, right? I always kind of nitpick every single mistake that I've ever made or every missed opportunity or things that didn't work out in my favor, uh, you know, I always kind of beat up myself for it, right? And I've always, you know, especially in the past, I had really a lot of issues with low self-esteem and, and mm -hmm. extreme shyness, social anxiety, and, and, you know, and of course, extreme introversion. Those, I, I, and those, all these, you know, might I add, are all labels, right, that I place on, on myself, that you know, all these very self-limiting, you know, labels that, oh, you know, I, this is the way I am, uh, you know, and even though I had, I did have psychological help from my counselors and my, you know, psychologists that I saw, it was still it, it, this kind of pattern of self-limiting belief really persisted for the vast majority of my childhood, really, right? That I wasn't going to amount to much. I was going to, you know, this is why I'm just going to be the shy guy that can't express himself, you know, well, can't defend himself, you know, all these different types of things. Then I guess like there wasn't that one magical moment when kind of it shifted where I was no longer shy or socially anxious or, you know, had much better self, uh, self-esteem or, or, or things like that. It was just very gradual realization or, or development of mindset. And it was really, you know, shifting from thinking about the past to thinking more about who I want to become my future self, essentially, right? That was really able to yeah, really break away from, from those uh, destructive patterns of self-loathing, if you will. So That's really amazing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the concepts I really love is measure the gain, not the gap. And I think that when you look back, you know, you even mentioned two or three years ago, you're quite different from who you were before. It's really amazing to measure the gains, to see where you've made progress, you know, to see how your podcast has gotten bigger, for example, or to, to see how you've just become as a person. Like it's, it's incredible when you look back at who you were a year ago or a few years ago and to see how much you've grown. And I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for that. What instead we do is, is we just continue to label ourselves the same way and then continue to expect the same things in the future. When it's like, if you're really moving forward and if you're paying attention, you've done so much in the last couple of years. You're not the same person at all. You've made all this growth. Like that should inspire you to keep going, to keep progressing and to stop overly defining yourself one way. So I love your story, man. It's, it's taking a long time as well. I'll give you, you know, a specific, very specific example. The really kind of hardwired belief I had when I was younger was that I was never going to do public speaking ever again right? Because I used to hate doing presentations. That was the worst thing. I wanted to die before I did a presentation, <laughs> right? It was that bad. And, and so, <laughs> you know, teachers would do anything to get me to, to, to present in, in front of the class, right? And it's just some of the tactics were really <laughs> ridiculous and, you know, including, uh, you know, making everyone turn around essentially. So I'd be speaking to the back of their heads. Then, you know, even more extreme example was a teacher telling all the students to leave the classroom entirely. So I was just speaking to an empty room. And, and it was still hard, right, for me to, to, to present. It was not because I didn't want to make eye contact. I mean, eye contact, eye contact itself was hard. The main problem was the, was the people um, judging what I, what I was about to present or what I wanted to say, right? And so that was the, the fear of judgment was really what drove you know, my, my fear of, of making presentations. And uh, it, w it wasn't until the end of high school when I, you know, for, for some reason or another, decided to, to run for high school valedictorian that I, I really... Quite a shift. <laughs> yeah, that was very much quite That's a shift. courageous, I though. I, I mean, talk I, about I did, courageous. I did, I, yeah, I did it on a whim. I was like, uh, I'm tired of being that, that quiet person. You know, everyone perceives me as that, you know, quiet, just introverted kind of person, right, who, who was very good at academics, but you know, otherwise wasn't very, you know, overtly social, right, in that, in that sense, or was capable of presenting himself, you know, in public. And so I just did it on a whim. I, I tried it, I, I tried out for it and, uh, you know, did a speech in front of 200 plus people and then I conquered my fear. And so now making presentations is not a scary thing for me anymore. Although I still have those fight or flight symptoms that, you know, those signs of nervousness you would have before you start presenting. But now it's just, it is what it is. I'm just, you know, I, fra I framed it in a way that I am just sharing a message I want to share in front of an audience. That's it. There's nothing, you know, wrong or, or, or scary or, or fearful or, or, or whatever. Um, it's just, that's reality. And, you know, I'm happy to say that I am, you know, very much looking forward to pursuing more public speaking opportunities, right, in, in the future, especially to, I guess, um, you know, share the message of, of this podcast and then, and then some others for self-improvement in, in general. So that, that's one specific example. A huge example, man. I mean, the fact that you ran for that public office and you put yourself out there. I mean, I think we all feel that fight or flight. That fight or flight is more a byproduct of uncertainty than it is of fear. I mean, fear can be a product of uncertainty, but the uncertainty is just that you don't know how it's going to go. You know, I mean, we don't know exactly where even this podcast is going to go. You know, you've done it enough and I've done it enough that we don't necessarily have to be that afraid. But like when you're out, when you're, when you're given a public speech, you don't know if they're going to like it. You don't know if you're going to like forget something. And so, yeah, there's uncertainty. And even if you're really good 
and you've done it for a long time, you can still have those jitters. I mean, that, that's actually a good sign that you're actually trying new things and pushing your own boundaries. But you can become more and more confident that you can handle the uncertainty. That when you're in new situations, you know, either among new people or you're trying something that is a little beyond your former self or like, you know, next level up to the next skill level, you can get confident enough that whatever happens, you know, even if it falls apart, you're going to be okay. You're not defined by it and you can move on and you can learn from it. It's something that can happen for you. You know, you can start using every experience as benefits, you know, and you're not defined by this moment. You're, you're more defined by where you're striving to go, your future self. And you can let everything be a benefit. Everything is happening for you, not to you, you know? So even if it falls apart, you know, you're building the confidence to say, I can keep going. I can figure this out. Like I'll go another way. I'll be flexible, you know? So I think that it, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a progression. Yeah, no, definitely. As long as you're, you're progressing in, in the positive direction, you know, any attempt or, or even if I completely bombed that presentation, right. And, and, and people made fun of me or whatever. So what, you know, I was brave enough to raise my metaphorical hand to do it, to just attempt it to, to, you know, for my own benefit, really. Right. Although it was, it would be nice, would have been nice to, to actually, you know, be about the tour. I mean, I didn't get it at the end, but it would have been nice to, to, you know, do that. But benefit was mainly for myself at the end of the day to challenge myself, right. To go beyond that kind of self-limiting belief of, Oh, I never know how, how any presentation of mine will go anyways. But as long as I've done my adequate preparation and as long as I've tried my best, that's all I could ask for. Awesome, man. It's cool. Yeah. And, and, and I was really, really, you know, interested in, you know, the notion of, you know, obviously the, the title is personalities and permanent, but what's interesting is that, you know, obviously there seems to be a lot of people, I mean, people are interested in, in psychology in general. I mean, especially with kind of the plethora of, of those tests that, that are out there, right? That people do all the time. And for me, for the longest time, uh, you know, I've always placed the label of introvert on myself, right? And to a certain degree, I do agree or do resonate with that label. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, that's why that's why this podcast exists, right? To, to talk about introversion in of course. the context of the digital world, right? But yeah. What's interesting is that I haven't done, you know, a test like the, like the Myers-Briggs for a very long time. And when I took it recently, you know, just out of curiosity to, to see, you know, how accurate it portrays my current personality, it, it labeled me as an ESTJ. And so I was, I was very confused at first. I was like, huh, does it, it what? No, it, it didn't make any sense with, I mean, I guess it up with my former self and my current self. I mean, <laughs> but then I started to realize, you know, obviously that these tests have their limitations and they may not necessarily be grounded in good science. No, let's be very honest, right? And so, you know, I, I learned not to take these kind of test results as gospel, essentially, right? And to say that, oh, it's, it's an interesting result, but may not accurately reflect i mean it may because i have for example uh, you know to give a bit more context within the past few years i've really gone out of my way to go out there and present myself and to you know be an event organizer for multiple different networking events and to go to a lot of networking events build a personal brand on linkedin for in particular you know started this podcast and you know tried a bunch of different uh business ventures that ultimately didn't pan out but you know, I was, I was a lot of the time I was very much displaying a lot of behaviors that a lot of people would consider to be very extroverted. Right. And so that was maybe that may be the case, but it was very much incongruent with the worldview that I always had of myself, that I was an introvert. And so I, I always found that 
that interesting. And so I guess like, you know, obviously you have your, your view on the, on these tests, but uh, you know, if you could elaborate for our listeners, that'd be great. Yeah. I think what you're describing, I, I think that these tests are more identity, identity tests than personality tests, to be honest with you. I mean, I think that they're trying to trying to measure personality, but I think that I think more than anything because you're you're the one answering the questions about yourself, right? And your identity is your self concept, and so I actually think that these tests are measuring your identity, and I think that you're identifying more as an extrovert, even though you still hold to the story of being an introvert. And so I think that there's some identity confusion there, and so I think that that's a big part of why these tests are, let's just say, not necessarily. Not, it's one of the reasons why these tests can be damaging. Uh, I understand that these tests can give people a sense of perspective. They can give you perspective on yourself and maybe on your triggers. Although even then, I would take it with a grain of salt because one of the problems with taking on a category or a title or a label is that you take on the whole label. So just as one example, we'll use autism as an example, but introversion could be used as an example too. Autism is a huge spectrum, right? Like, right. And if you take on that label you've taken on the whole label, but not every aspect of the label actually fits you. You know, like if there was a thousand aspects of autism and you displayed 20 of them, then by taking on the label, you now are associated with a thousand things. <laughs> you know, like introversion being the same way, like introversion is, there's not, it's not just you're an introvert or an extrovert. It's a, it's a spectrum. And so by taking on the label, you've now taken on the identity that you're someone who maybe isn't good with people or that you only energize when you're alone. And like that label comes with a lot of baggage. It also leads you to being mindless to all the times when the label is not true. I mean, there's been a lot of research on this that particularly from Ellen Langer at Harvard, I'd point people to her research, but when you have a label, you think that the label is always true. So if you right. define yourself as an introvert or an extrovert, you think that you're often always that way when it's like, no, there's going to be plenty of situations or scenarios when you're not. And so the label isn't always accurate. More, more than anything, context is what's most accurate. You're, you're different in various situations. But my major problem with labels is that they lead you to being defensive about the label. You seek to defend your identity because you don't. And then you, you obviously have ego, so you want to justify it. Right. And you also seek to confirm it. It leads to confirmation bias. And it stunts your imagination and your flexibility in the future. Like it, it, you, it stunts you from seeing a future version of yourself that doesn't have the label. You just assume that it's who you are. It's like your future self could be someone different. Why don't you actually just choose who you want your future self to be and maybe let go of who you think you are today and why don't you just focus on who you want to be in the future in the attributes, characteristics, and situations that you have in the relationships and whatnot. And kind of let go of your current identity so much. I mean, that's, that's my recommendation, honestly, is to hold your present identity a little bit more loosely, to not be so definitive in how you describe yourself. Because the truth is we don't see the world as it is. We don't see ourselves as we are. We, we see the world as we are. And we see ourselves as we are. And in the future, you're going to see the world differently. In the future, you're going to see yourself differently, just like you do from the past. And so stop being so definitive in how you describe yourself with such strong labels. And maybe in the future, I think that it's fine to associate with people. For example, with this podcast, like there's a lot of people who have introversion, which is totally fine. I would say don't call yourself an introvert unless you really just love that label. I, I actually I actually don't, to be very, very honest. I, I, I use it very, very loosely. For, for yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of people who have it. You know, in the digital world, it's very relevant. I think it's incredibly relevant. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. What I'm saying is, is 
if you've owned it as such a strong aspect of your identity, it will heavily limit your options and your potential for flexibility and change in the future. And so my, I'm a big believer in creating more options for my future self, not less options for my future self. And so as a result, I personally wouldn't subscribe to such labels, but I, I'm not downplaying that this stuff doesn't exist and that people don't need resources to support themselves. So I, I mean, I, I think your podcast is a huge benefit to people. I'm just saying, be careful on how you label yourself. Right. And then how, how, you know, strongly you attach yourself to that label, right? Because yeah. or, 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 or your identity you. drives your behavior and your, and your behavior drives your personality. And also one thing that's also important is, is what drives your identity? Well, it's your goals. You know, so if someone's goal is to maintain their identity or to be alone, you know, like, so I, I just think, you know, identity is such an important thing. I, I think identity is so much more important than personality. Identity and how you describe yourself, how you define yourself, how you view yourself, like that is crucial. And that's the thing that drives who you become. And so I'm just very, I'm inviting people to be very thoughtful about how they define themselves. Yeah. And, and I do agree, uh, you know, with that because from, how you define yourself is, is, you know, how everything else happens, how kind of you define yourself shapes how you want your personality to be shapes you, what you want to achieve your, your, your goals, your, your ambitions, um, and, and everything else, you know, including behaviors. And so identity can be very, can be a very tricky aspect to reconcile with, right. To, or to think about, because it requires a lot of just understanding who you are, who you really are and, and just you know defining it with certainty at the at the moment for example yeah i don't think you have to be as certain about who you are today i, I don't think I, I i think you can describe yourself in certain ways and you know, like things you like things you're interested in things that motivate you but i think i really think that that's why the future self is so important and that's why you need to be honest about who's the person you genuinely want to be and also it's really good to view your future self as a different person than you are today because they are a different person just like you're not the same person you were five years ago and so you don't have to be definitive about who you are today. You can just be definitive about who you want to be. And when you're definitive about who you want to be, then you can start thinking about who you should be today, uh, even though you're not perfectly there yet. And it's okay to not be perfectly there yet. And it's okay that you're going to probably make a lot of mistakes on the way and you got a lot to learn. But being definitive about your goals is kind of like success 101. You know, I mean, even in... <laughs> Napoleon Hill said, you know, definiteness of purpose is what's required to maintain kind of that desire to achieve your goals. And it's, it's our goal to, you know, it's, it's actually our responsibility to not only define what we want, but then to make ourselves become committed to that. Uh, and I think that you've actually probably done that many times, you know, whether it was this podcast or other things, but that's, that's a crucial lesson to learn, which is that we have to choose who we want to be. And then it's our choice, how definitive we are about that, how committed we truly are to our future self, or are we committed to our own limitations? Are we committed to our story? And I think my invitation is be committed to the person you want to be. And that's, yes, that's going to not, not going to be easy. <laughs> it's going to require that you're going to have to step out of your typical way of doing things. And you're going to have to face more emotions. You're going to have to become more flexible, eventually more confident. But, you know, we have, just as an example, we have two twin girls. There's 17 months old. We live here in Florida and a lot of swimming pools in Florida. So our girls are going through swimming lessons. And in the swimming lessons, obviously these 17 month old babies are having to learn how to swim and it's not easy for them. They're crying, kicking, screaming, and eventually learning how to swim. And we're obviously fine putting themselves through that experience because we want them to be capable, 
capable enough to swim. And I think that people, as they grow up, they become less open to new experiences, less willing to stick themselves through such developmental experiences that they stop. And then they become more rigid in their self-declaration or their their self-concept. And it's not because they couldn't change, it's because they're not willing to go through the emotional difficulty of change. And so their comfort zone becomes their personality and they stop trying things that would definitely be extremely emotional and challenging, but would build confidence and flexibility, which allow you more options and choices in the future. Right. And, 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 and is it, you know, is, is there kind of a particular, you know, reason or, or kind of, you know, a source of just why people do that as, as they, as they go older, do they seek more, you know, familiarity and, and routineness and, and security. It's hard. It's freaking hard. You know, learning is hard. And, uh, you know, left to our own devices, we're probably just going to choose the easier way. We're going to choose to sit on the couch, then go to the gym. We're going to choose the pizza over the apple. Like, it's just, you know, and you get into habits. And then you get an environment that supports your habits. And then you've got a story which is based on your past. And in then stepping outside of that becomes increasingly difficult because we as people have a need to be consistent. And so, you know, unless you're seeking a future self and you're humble enough to say that you don't have all the answers and you're pursuing goals above your current self, then you're probably stuck in the past. If you're someone who's growth oriented, you just, you make it a way of life. That learning is a way of life. Going through challenging experiences is a way of life. Dealing with your emotions is a way of life. You learn the strategies on how to do that. You learn to build an environment of people who can support you. You know, you learn to recover. You learn to get help. You stop making it about you. You know, I mean, you just, if you're someone who wants to grow, you just learn how to handle the challenges of growth and you learn to embrace it and you learn to let go of failures. And I actually really like, there's a quote from Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly is this famous guy, but he recently came out with this blog post called 60, 68 bits of unsolicited advice. But one of the things he said is, is that professionals are really just amateurs who, who have learned how to gracefully recover from failure. And that's, oh, wow, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you've just learned how to gracefully recover from failure. Cause we all fail. The problem with amateurs you know, and that's just a broad statement, but they're defined by a failure. If something doesn't go right, then, then they hold on to it for so long. They define themselves by it. They're, they're emotionally crippled when it's just like, no, we're all amateurs. The truth is, it's just those who are pro just have learned how to gracefully recover. You don't make it such a big deal. You let it go fast or you just, move, you, you get back to the goal. You get back to looking towards the future. You're not defined by this moment. You're not defined by your emotions either. And you can just keep moving forward and handle it. And that's how you become more psychologically flexible is you hold your present emotions and even your present identity a little bit more loosely. You're not so definitive and you're more focused on where you're trying to go. Right, right. And that really resonates with me because I used to, you know, I did allude to this earlier, but, you know, the one thing that I was, I was always confident in and I was very good at was academics. That was, that was why I defined myself to be. I was just a very good student uh, when I was growing up. And so whenever, you know, for example, I got, or, you know, I got something that was less than an A grade, I was just shattered. It was just, you know, that, <laughs> it was something that it was like a piece of my, <laughs> my soul is just gone, right? Because, you know, that, that does not conform to the, to, to who I want to be, you know, that kind of identity of a, of a straight A student, right? And, and it was, this was even worse when I went to college and, and it was the, you know, first year of, of undergraduate studies. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the, you know, level of uh, academic rigor between high school and, and, and college is, is quite significant, actually, right? And so, 
you, you know, I remember getting, what was it? It was a uh, 64% on my first physics midterm. And I was, you know, the, that to me was the end of the world. I was like, this is the, this is the end. I, you know, I'm done. Uh, I'm never going to be a good student ever again. You know, this is who I am. The, I, I have failed myself here. Right. Um, things like that. And it took a very long time. It was very emotional. It was, you know, I think I, I cried for like two nights straight or something like that. And it was just, it was devastating. Right. Because I put so much of my self-worth into how good I was at school that, you know, I just couldn't handle, handle it when the slightest thing didn't go my way. Right. In, in that instance, what eventually ended up happening was that by the end of undergrad, you know, having gone through that, you know, kind of process of, of understanding how college works and how to navigate it. And, and even applying to a whole bunch of different uh, school programs and, and, and for graduate studies, and which I, I, I didn't end up getting because back then I was doing a degree in biochemistry and business, actually, uh, with a focus on pharmaceuticals. And that one, my one singular goal in life back then was to go to medical school, become a doctor, right? And so, you know, I, I, I applied twice. The closest I ever got was the final waiting list at the University of Toronto. I'm from Canada, right? So, and it was a lot better. You know, I handled these rejections a lot better, you know, at, at that stage of my life because, or I realized that, you know, hey, you know, isn't necessarily, a, you know, a failure on my part on, you know, I, you know, I have failed myself in terms of, oh, you know, why aren't you good enough to get into medical school? It was rather, you know, I consider it as actually a blessing in disguise because I, I, you know, after a long, very long period of introspection, I realized that being a physician wasn't something I really wanted to do uh, or that, you know, something that didn't necessarily fit my interests anymore. Um, and I learned, you know, learned that I just wasn't the best fit for the profession or, you know, the, the training to, to get into that profession at the time. And, and, and so I just let it go. In any case, it, it just took a while. It took a while to, to really frame quote unquote failures into learning opportunities. That's the one big thing that I've always took to heart that failure is just another opportunity for me to reassess, to, you know, to learn from the experience, to, to grow from it and to become a better person in the future. And especially not to dwell on it, right? Yeah, I think that meaning is one of the crucial aspects of our lives. And that's the meaning we give to events, the meaning we give to anything. I mean, a trauma is only a trauma because it's the, of the meaning you gave to an event. And so just choosing better meanings and also choosing, I mean, we call that emotional regulation in psychology, but just, you know, if you fail a test, you know, what's the meaning you give to that failure? Is it that you're a bad student? Uh, is it that you need to work harder? Like, is it that you can learn from this? Like, what is the meaning you choose to give to this? And that's, that's just crucial. Carol Dweck is an example. She's, she's wrote the book Mindset, but she's been, she's the psychologist who created the, the idea of fixed mindset and growth mindset. That's right. And one of the things that she studied, you know, is she, you know, she would do studies where she'd give students problems that were just way above their skill level. None of them were going to pass it. And she would right. just see how, how students would respond. And, uh, you know, those with the fixed mindset, they would, the meaning, meaning, keyword their meaning, the meaning that they gave to the experience of difficulty was I'm dumb. Because like, as soon as they were feeling difficulty, they're like, oh, I can't do this. I, I'm, I can't go beyond this. Whereas those in the growth mindset, when they've experienced difficulty, the meaning they gave to that was I'm getting smarter. Another crucial aspect is that, you know, if someone with a growth mindset got a horrible grade, the emphasis was not yet. I'm not there yet. And the word yet is huge because 
it means that nothing's final. You know, you're, you, you'll get there in the future. You're still on the growth curve. You're still on the learning curve. Whereas, and so one of the things that Carol Dweck says, it's a great statement, but she says, basically those with a fixed mindset, they don't get to luxuriate in the, you know, they don't get to luxuriate in the power of yet. Instead, they're trapped in the tyranny of now. And so like the tyranny of now is, is that who you are right now is all you'll ever be. And that's a terrible belief system. You don't want to be trapped in the now because who you are right now is obviously, yeah, I mean, I like the idea of self-acceptance to some degree that who you are right now shouldn't be some, you should love yourself, but you, sure. but you, but, but there's so much more you can do. Like you're not final. And so like, it's better to be focused on like, you're not there yet. And that, that doesn't mean you shouldn't hate yourself for not being there. You just, you're not there yet. And you're going to be, you're, you're, you'll get there and yeah. you can, you can still love your life and you can still love your current situation, but you're still on a growth curve and you can enjoy that. Right. And, you know, enjoy it for, for what it is, but just be cognizant of, you know, that you're, you're not there yet. <laughs> you know, like you said that, you know, life is just, it is a, you know, never ending journey of, of self-improvement. At least that's how I consider it as right. So, and even, even if you reach the apex that, you know, what you define your future self, you fulfill that journey that you've already become that future self you aspired to be all those years ago, then what's next, you know, what's the next better version of your future self? you can keep aspiring towards or, or, or to be right. And even if you, you know, accomplish, you know, something great, you, you become a world-class speaker, you become a best-selling author, whatever the automatic response shouldn't be to rest on your laurels. It should be to how can I become even better right for the future? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or what, what else would give your life meaning? You know, I mean, Victor Frankl, his book, man's search for meaning is so important. I don't know if you've read that one yet. I have actually. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, so good. You know, but you know, he he survived the Holocaust. And one of the things that he found is that you must have a a, a purpose for your future. You have to have hope and purpose for your future, or else the present loses context, the present loses meaning. And as a result, it becomes unbearable. I mean, even if your life isn't that bad, if you don't have a purpose for your future, then is all you're gonna do is distract yourself from the present. If you're in a concentration camp, the suffering is gonna be so bad that you're gonna give up the will to live. And so Wherever you are, you need a purpose for your future. Um, Even if you've been very successful in the past, you can't, I like the quote from Condoleezza Rice, right? You should never be the former anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of research on the idea that when you, the life expectancy of people plummets when they retire because they've lost a sense of, you know, unless they have some other purpose that drives what they're doing. That's right. Because a lot of people define their, their purpose by their profession, what they did, right? When they're still active in work, right? So. Yeah, man. So you, you got to always have that future self that gives you purpose and gives you hope and gives you meaning. Because without that, then you're stuck in the tyranny of now, you know, or you're defined by former experiences. And therefore, you just you don't have that much meaning. So you got to have purpose, you know, whether it's career or something else, you got to have something that's that's giving you purpose, that's giving you hope, that's giving you something to work towards. Otherwise, right. there's no reason to be here. Yeah. You know, otherwise, you know, you, you would just spend all your time uh, you know, not progressing towards some, some, you know, some goal, you just distract yourself with kind of the, the myriad of distractions we have nowadays, kind of distract yourself from identifying what you want to strive towards. I mean, that's not to say that we shouldn't have recovery. That's not to say no, we no, shouldn't no, have no. To... I, I wasn't saying I wasn't. No, I know. And I'm with you hundred percent. But yeah, I think that many people are distracted in general. You know, it's good to distract yourself on purpose every once in a while when you need a break. But I think that's fine. What we're talking about is when you're just fully living in distraction and you have no clear destination and you're not really sure what you're up to and you've got no clear sense of purpose. And so everything is kind of a distraction. 
Right, and then and then you know the the days fly by, and then you you know you're you're still the same person. And I was once there. That's why I can relate. Yeah, I can too, man. Uh, I I, I let, let I let many years slip yeah. by, and I'm glad that I stepped forward. But I know a lot of people from back in high school who've let decades fly by, you know, and like, and that it's now smashing them in the face that like, wow, like I'm still thinking like a high schooler, yet I'm in my 30s, you know, and like they're making mistakes that they should have, you know, there's that quote, lessons are repeated until learned, you know? And so it's like, if you're going to keep repeating your experiences, then you're not learning the lesson. So if you want to just keep having this experience over and over and keep, you know, but once you're ready to start learning the lessons, you can start moving your life forward. And so it's up to you how fast you want to start learning the lessons. It's like smashing your head against the wall uh, multiple times unless you, until you find the door. So yeah, yeah, no, it, uh, no, I I agree because, um, you know, and this was very, I mean, this wasn't even too long ago either. This was, you know, as, as recent as a couple of years ago, because, you know, when I lost my interest in, in pursuing medicine, right, that was when I was really soul searching in, in terms of, okay, what, I, you know, and I have this degree, I have the student debt to repay. Now, what do I want to do with my life, right? And so I, I you know, I went on, you know, really, you know, a couple of years of, of searching, just wondering, like, what, I, what, I, what should I do? basically from from here on now right in terms of career wise and and you know i tried a whole i tried a whole bunch of things i tried you know starting a bunch of businesses and some of those things but you know they 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 didn't pan out but now you know i'm very happy to say that i'm very you know back on track if you will you know with the podcast with digital introverts and then also also the you know the podcast is paired with a book digital introverts and, and, and these things like you're making huge leaps dude it's really cool so this this is yeah this this is kind of what i've I'm currently, I guess, steep myself in. This is what I'm, you know, striving towards. Kind of making the, you know, you know, the best podcast I can show I can I can have, and and you know, in the future, publish that book, and uh, and we'll see where where it goes, right, from here. But this is, you know, as of today, May 11th, 2020. If you're listening in 2045, this is where your current now. self is focused. Exactly, exactly. And then when I listen to this, you know, you know, even a year from now. No, I'll probably be a different person again. Right? You will be, especially if you're seeking growth. You're and you're actually pursuing a future self. You're gonna have a lot of learning experiences, meet new people. You're gonna have a lot of failures and successes, and you're definitely gonna have different goals, different focus. I mean, you might probably still be doing a podcast, of course, but who knows what direction it'll go? Who knows where it's gonna be? You know, and who knows the opportunities it's gonna create? So. Yeah, I definitely hope your future self is far expanded than your current self. Not that I'm mad at who you are right now. I just know that you can keep expanding as a person. I've had a friend uh, ask me, you know, I was a guest on, on, on his show. You know, am, am I, you know, satisfied with where I am? I'm like, definitely not. This is not the apex of, of my life at all, right? Like, <laughs> That's still, great. I'm still, you know, this is just the beginning, right? And, it's good for you, dude. It's great. You know, it, it, it's great. And, and part of me, you know, part of the reason why I even started this show in the first place is to really learn, you know, from my guests. And, and you know, obviously, the, the idea of digital introverts really, really falls under self-improvement. That is what, you know, primary reason why I started this journey was to, you know, not only share my experience with others, right, of uh, how I overcame, you know, my own kind of mental roadblocks and things like that, but to, you know, relate with other individuals on their and their journeys as well. And then to see how, you know, for example, how they, uh, you know, how loosely or tightly they associate with the label of introversion and how they've used that to, to you know, carry out their, their lives. And, and, you know, it's, it's been a very interesting journey um, thus far, I'd like to say. 
Great, man. It's really cool. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, is there anything else that you think would be useful to chat about for this one? Yes. Uh, very last thing is, you know, we, we've talked about, we've talked a lot about the book. So where can people find and, 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 and purchase a copy? And second of all, where can people find you if they want to contact you? Yeah, man. Well, definitely check out Personality Isn't Permanent. You can get the book anywhere. If you go to benjaminhardy.com, you can hear a funny video about how personality tests almost, and depending on when you watch this video, who knows, maybe my website will be iterated 500 times by the time it will be totally different yes but at least in the present there's a funny video describing how my wife almost didn't marry me because of a personality test there's a lot of free giveaways on my website about you know free several free online courses that i give away for anyone who buys the book thousands of dollars worth of online courses the book's only like 13 to 17 bucks so get the book it'll help you reframe the past it'll help you design your identity help you create your desired future self help you go through the change process so you can become the person you want to be become more flexible, more confident, and uh, really a pleasure to be with you on your show. It's a lot of fun. Perfect. Fantastic. You know, I love, thank you very much for coming on as a guest once again, and uh, we'll catch up soon. All right, man. Have an awesome day. Thanks for listening to the Digital Introverts Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing and leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at D-I-G-I-I-N-T-R-O-S-H-O-W. And join the Digital Introverts Community Facebook group at D-I-G-I-I-N-T-R-O-G-R-O-U-P. You can also follow me on all social platforms at G-O-D-W-I-N-H-S-C-H-A-N. I appreciate everyone who listens to the show, and let's change the world quietly.